Welcome to Mandatory Fun, a podcast by a military wife reflecting on life. I'm Erin Stevens, and today I'll be explaining how we do it. Actually, not so much. I don't think there's any one answer when it comes to coping with much of the crap that is thrown at us military spouses on a regular basis. Everyone has their issues and drama in life, and no matter where you live or what you do, so this question could really be asked of so many different people. But it is true that maybe sometimes we have to figure things out more than most. So let's dive right in. Here are just a few stories for those of you who have never had any interaction with the military. If you're a fellow military spouse, you'll no doubt be able to relate. And if you're my friend, you've no doubt heard these already. So first, let's talk about deployments. First time that my husband deployed, um, we were living in Alaska, and it was a little bit cold outside because he left in the middle of the winter, which is not the greatest time in the world to be left alone in Alaska. But I digress. Anyway, it was an average of probably minus 20 degrees Fahrenheit um, during the winter there. And one day, I was given the opportunity to leave the house to go do something else that was on base. And it got up to a balmy probably 20 degrees. But when it's that big of a difference, 20 degrees feels pretty warm. So was notoriously not made very well necessarily when it comes to came to the heating. So a lot of houses flooded up there. So needless to say, I had left the house for a couple of hours. I came back and my entire house was flooded from top to bottom. The window that was on the second floor that had been opened um, froze the freeze the heating unit below it. And so it was raining water in my house for two hours. So the whole top story was flooded, which then went through the middle and then into the basement. So all three floors were flooded. At this time, I didn't have any kids, so that was a good thing. But I also had no idea what to do. So I called some friends to come over and they brought fans and I got a dehumidifier from base because, of course, they had them available because this happened all the time. Um, and so I had that running for a couple of days. And it all worked out okay, although my dining room table is still not the same and will never be the same. But all the rest of the furniture is, I believe, new. So it's not like there's anything that was permanent and damaged. It was all pretty much IKEA stuff anyway. So... But, you know, it was the kind of thing where it was like, what? I'm by myself and I don't know what to do. And I kind of had a pity party, but I got through it. So then the second deployment came around and we had to say goodbye to Jake three different times because the first time he was supposed to go and they left and then they turned around and they came back. And then the second time he was supposed to go and he left and then he turned around and came back. And then the third time he was supposed to go and he left and then turned around and came back. And after that, I was like, you know what? I love you, but I am not going to do this anymore. So next time you go, we're just going to say goodbye. And then if you have to get like a hotel room or something, that would be great. So let's just get this party started. So he finally left. And the plan was for my father-in-law to drive my dog to Cleveland. And my daughter and I were going to fly to Cleveland because we were going up there for the majority of the deployment so that I didn't have to be alone with a two-year-old for seven months. Um, and so we flew, we left. And then I kept getting calls from my father-in-law saying that, you know, he wasn't feeling well, so he was going to wait a day. And then I got a call the next day saying he wasn't feeling well, so he wasn't going to leave it. He was going to wait a day. 
And then it turned out that he left and he got to Dallas, which is where his brother lived. And he ended up being admitted to the hospital with double pneumonia and being there for two weeks. So this was about a week after my husband had left. Um, my daughter and I were in Cleveland. My father-in-law was in the hospital in Dallas with my dog there as well. And so I flew down to Dallas. But, you know, it was the kind of thing where you think, well, do I tell my husband or do I not tell him? I don't want to upset him. And... Um, all worked out well. My father-in-law made a full recovery and everything was fine. I ended up flying down to Dallas, driving back to Cleveland with my dog, and my parents just had my daughter for um, a couple of days while I did that. But it was kind of a bummer. And I did end up telling my husband. Actually, I don't know if I did tell him. I think his sister might have told him finally. You know, it was just a challenging thing because he had just left and we didn't want to worry him. Um, unless something horrible had gone wrong. But luckily, my father-in-law was in good health, so he made a full recovery. Um, and then on his way home from the deployment, well, he wasn't home yet. He, it was like his last week there. Um, both of his grandfathers died. So, you know, I didn't really know what to do. I felt terrible. I knew that he wasn't going to be able to come back. He was already on his way back home. So they died within, I think, five days of each other, something like that. So that was pretty tragic. But, you know, we made it through. Um, his family understood that he wasn't going to be able to come back. And I think he was upset. But, you know, at the same time, it was good that he had coming home to look forward to. So that was a positive thing. Then the third deployment my husband has gone on, uh, he left on a Tuesday. And that Thursday, we had a hurricane warning come through. So a hurricane actually came through um, where we were living. And yeah, so I grew up in Cleveland, as we all know at this point, And I didn't really know what to do about a hurricane. And if you know my father, you know that talking to him about the weather is not very useful because he stressed me out a little bit. Sorry, dad, you did stress me out a little bit. He was like, there's like a 85% chance that 16 tornadoes will touch down in your backyard between the hours of 5 p.m. and 8 p.m. So I think you need to evacuate your house now. However, if you do evacuate your house now, there may be a chance the roads will all be flooded and closed. So you may not be able to get back. Uh, so I didn't really know what to do with that information. But luckily... I had friends that were like, okay, we'll come over. We'll help you take down your trampoline, fill your bathtub with water. Here are some water bottles, get out your flashlights. And then I was prepared. But still, it was kind of comical that, you know, he just left and then a hurricane came through. Um, but also worth mentioning is that when a hurricane came through, the Air Force obviously wants to make sure that all of the jets are okay. So what they do is they send the pilots to evacuate the jets. So the pilots take the jets and they get out of Dodge. They go up north. Some go to Columbus, Mississippi. Some go to Columbus, Ohio. It just depends on where they're supposed to go at that point where they are told to evacuate, which means that women and children or children and spouses or whatever the configuration is are left behind to wait out the storm and hope for the best, which I find to be kind of comical. So I'm sure there are a lot of people who can relate to that part of the uh, 
what is happening. There's a horrible storm that I've never been a part of before with tornado warnings and wind warnings and, oh, okay, I'll just, I'll just be here with my babies. That's fine. I can handle it. But we're strong. We know what to do. So besides deployments, there are TDYs, which are kind of lengthy work trips, you could say. They range anywhere from two days to four weeks to three months. So TDYs are not a full deployment, but they are usually something that you go to for training or there is some sort of, um, what's the word I'm looking for, exercise going on in the Air Force that they require the guys to go to. So, you know, we all expect it. We understand it. But a lot of the time we don't know how long they're going to be gone for or when exactly they're leaving. And then when they do find out they're leaving, it's kind of like, oh, so you're going to be in Las Vegas for three weeks. No big deal. I will just manage here on my own. Um, Oh, so you're going to be in Colorado. Oh, okay. Oh, and you're going to go to a couple football games. Yeah. And you're going to go on some hikes. All right. Well, great. That's great. Don't worry. I'll just stay here and, you know, twiddle my fingers and wait for you to come back. So that can be a little bit challenging too. The other thing that happens with military life and military training and TDYs and deployments is that you can never plan anything really because you never know what will happen. And nobody can ever promise that there's a date that um, they will be available. So a lot of the time what happens is when you're you know, luckily we had been married early on, so we were able to pick a date. But people who are trying to get married at a crazy time in their spouse's career may have to just go to a justice of the peace and make it, um, you know, legal on paper and then do a big wedding later. And I have a lot of friends that did that and they didn't even tell their families they were married when they had their wedding, but they had already been married for a little while. So then, of course, we come to moving. So obviously we all know all of the stress that goes along with moving. We've talked about that before. But here's a great story about um, moving and military moving. So again, we lived in Alaska. I was pregnant with my first daughter. Um, We found out that we were moving to Tucson. So I was seven months pregnant with her and I needed to go house hunting because we knew we wanted to buy a house. So I had to go down there and look because that can obviously take a while and we didn't want to move and then have to try to figure it out with a new baby because we were moving when she was two months old. So maybe she was three months old. Yeah, she might've been three months old, but same thing. Um, And then my husband had to go to Arctic survival training, so he couldn't go with me. So he was in Arctic survival training and I was seven months pregnant and I went ahead and I went down to Tucson. So I had to take three flights. I had to fly from Fairbanks to Anchorage, Anchorage to Seattle, and then Seattle to Tucson. So my friend, Aubrey, who you've heard on the podcast before, dropped me off at the airport in Tucson or in Fairbanks. And I was sitting there and I didn't really feel very well, but I was like, you know what? I'll be be okay. I'm going to press like, you know, I really want to get down there. I was pretty excited about it actually. So um, my dad was going to be meeting me in Tucson to look at houses with me. So I decided to get on the flight anyway, whatever. So we flew down to Anchorage, which was a short flight, and was sitting on the airplane, and all of a sudden I thought, I really don't feel good. So then I ended up throwing up all over myself and all over the plane, and unfortunately, you know, everybody knew about it. It wasn't a huge plane, and the problem is that 
when you're flying from Fairbanks to Anchorage, the chances are that you are continuing on a flight with the people that you're with to Seattle, which is kind of a long flight. So everybody that was on that plane with me knew that they were going to be on the next plane with me. So I got into the airport and I thought, okay, well, maybe it'll get better. And I had a couple hour layover. So I walked around the airport and then I just ended up having like the 24 hour flu. I don't know. I still to this day don't know what it was. I don't think it was food poisoning, but needless to say, and I know this is a little bit of TMI, but it was coming out of everywhere for hours and I was drained and I was nervous. So I called my doctor back in Fairbanks and I told them what was going on and they said, well, you know, just keep keep going. And if it gets worse, then when you get to your final stop, go to the hospital. So I get on the plane to Seattle and it's all blur. I mean, I was throwing up in the bathroom the entire trip. I was at my seat throwing up. I was declared a medical emergency. Um, they, I don't even remember what happened, but they asked for a doctor and there was a doctor on the plane. I think they put me on oxygen. But anyway, I get to Seattle and they say, oh, there's no way we, you, we can let you go on the next flight because you were a medical emergency and we can't take that risk. And I was like, I feel better. I promise I'm not going to throw up anymore. You've got to let me go. I don't have another choice. I don't have anything else that I can do. So they finally let me get on the plane. And then within like 10 minutes of boarding, I was like, nope, I'm not done. And I ran through the aisle and I threw up in the middle of the aisle and it wasn't great. But at that point they were like, all right, we're just going to let you go. We're just going to let you get to where you need to be. So they let me on the plane. It was the last time I threw up. I get to Tucson. I go to rent a car. My dad wasn't going to be there for like probably eight more hours or something like that. But you know, I can entertain myself. So it's no big deal. Um, I go to rent a car and we hadn't been married for that long. I mean, we had been married for over a year, but we hadn't changed the credit cards to my name yet. I, I still don't know why we didn't do that, but we hadn't. So if you don't know this, when you go to rent a car, you have to have a credit card in your name. So they would not rent me a car. So here I am, seven months pregnant, covered in vomit. I'm sheet white. I have been traveling for a really long time. I, you know, was hysterically crying saying, please, you've got to let me rent a car. I have no way to get around. So they were like, well, you can just call a cab. So I got a cab and I went to base because I figured that's probably what makes the most sense. There's medical facilities on base. And we had been in Tucson before for training, but we had never lived there. And when he was there for training, we weren't married. So I wasn't very familiar with the base. So we... Uh, so I got to base and I went to the medical clinic and they said that they would not see me because I was pregnant and they don't deal with pregnancies. They farm you out to hospitals in the area. So I begged them to just check and make sure everything was okay. And they said they couldn't do that. And they said if I wanted to change my insurance to the local insurance to TRICARE, wherever, whatever is TRICARE, Northwest, I don't, Southwest, I guess it would be, from Alaska, then I could do that. And maybe they could see me, but they couldn't guarantee it. But of course, I was having a baby in Alaska in a couple months and I couldn't change my insurance location. So I ended up calling the squadron in Alaska, who then called his squadron to be commander um, in Tucson. And somebody that I know I knew just so happened to be in the office and heard my name and said, "Oh, I know her. I'll go help her out." So he came and he picked me up because, of course, I had taken a cab there. I had no way to get off base. So he picked me up and he took me to the hospital, and all was fine. But it wasn't great. That was not a very good. Um, 
few days of my life. However, I did find a house, which we did have to short sell a couple years later, but that's a whole other podcast. Um, but we will maybe talk about that someday. Um, but moving on. So then moving. So I've mentioned before how moving to Germany was a really hard transition. So the one thing that I will say about moving to Germany, which obviously made it one of the hardest transitions that you can have in your life, is that we had a four-year-old and a one-year-old. Oh, no, she was five. We had a five-year-old and a one-year-old, and we got to Germany, and obviously we didn't have our stuff, and we didn't have a house, and we had to do all of that kind of stuff. And we ended up living in a single hotel room for an entire month, Um, it had a tiny, tiny, tiny little kitchenette in it, but nothing to actually cook with, no utensils. And Germans don't really do takeout. So we ate a lot of pretzels and bread and, um, stuff from the hotel, like restaurant, which was pizza. We had a lot of pizza. So an entire month. And I had a one-year-old who was still taking naps. So it was lights out at 7.30 and my husband and I just had to lay in bed and be silent because one daughter was in the pack and play tucked away in a corner and the other daughter was around another corner in a rollaway bed. So that's how we lived for a month, which was not easy. That made that a very challenging transition. So those are just a few choice tidbits. So are you feeling bad for me now? Good. I like the sympathy and no doubt I'll be milking these experiences for a long time to come. But here's the thing. Not only can I laugh at a lot of these things now, but they help me get through other situations I may be facing. Now I'll try to explain how we do it. So I have to say that friends become your family. There's no question about that. You know, the majority of the places that we end up living, we're not close to family. I mean, I consider us close to family now because we're three hours away from my brother and sister-in-law and their kids. But that's the closest we have ever lived to family. So you can't really rely on family to help you with situations. You can't rely on them to help you watch your kids. You can't rely on them to help you when there's a hurricane and you need shelter or anything like that. So you really, really rely on your friends. So before the last deployment or after the last deployment, when my husband had left, my friend came up to me and she said, you look me in the eye and you know that I am here for anything that you ever need. This is what we do, and this is who we are, and we will always do everything that we can. And I know that that's true because that's how I feel, and I would hopefully do anything for anybody if they needed it, if it was in my power to help them. And I think that a lot of that comes from all of us knowing that you get into situations and you need help and you need to ask and you need people to be willing to help you out, and it goes both ways. So... That's one way that we definitely make it through and how we do it. Also, you know, I think venting (laughs) is a huge thing. You know, I can vent or aka complain to anybody about anything for any prolonged period of time. I'm doing a whole podcast on it right now. Um, But I think that that really does help. It's therapeutic and it lets you get it out and then you don't hold it in and you can move on and then you can laugh at your experiences and everybody can relate. So you can go through and tell tons of stories and all laugh at each other and with each other. And that's one way to really make it through. Um, You know, you can look at the bright side of moving to new places and having people be gone out of your life or, you know, you can take trips. So we've always tried to explore wherever we're living. So 
I feel like we've really gotten to see a lot of the country because we take the time to research cool things that are around us and go on some major road trips. And, you know, the kids have seen a lot of stuff and we've seen a lot of stuff and it's things that I would not have seen. I also feel like now I can speak um, intelligently about different places in the United States because I've lived there, I've visited there. You know, I, I feel like I can speak with some sort of experience to back up my words that I may say, because, you know, as we've discussed, I can be passionate about things. Um, you know, we lived in Europe. I feel like I can speak to that too. And I understand what it means to live overseas and to be in a different country. And I've got that bug and I want to keep going and traveling and seeing new things and meeting new people. It's also nice because we can visit friends all over the world. We literally have friends all over the world, which is pretty cool. You know, anytime I meet anybody from anywhere, whether it's a military life or anywhere else, I can ask if they know somebody because, you know, I'm like, oh, you live in such and such a town. Here's a long shot. Do you know them? Do you know them? And, you know, a lot of the times you do find mutual friends in common I was at a hotel recently in Orlando and I heard an accent from New Zealand or Australia. And I said, are you from Australia or New Zealand? And she said, oh, I'm from New Zealand originally, but I've lived in Australia for a while, Melbourne. Obviously, she didn't sound like that. She was like, I've lived in Australia. I've lived in Australia for a while. <laughs> that was terrible. Sorry, picky. Um, but, you know, so I we got to talking and halfway, literally halfway around the world. We had friends in common in Germany. And one of her closest friends is friends with one of my closest friends who now lives in England. And her friend was going to visit my friend in England. And then my friend, when she moves back to Melbourne, is going to be at the same school as this woman's kids. I mean, it was really amazing. So that's really fun, small world story. But that wouldn't have happened if I hadn't lived somewhere else and met somebody from other country, another country. Um, and, you know, with my husband being gone, we can take trips more affordably. So we, the girls and I, have a plan to go on a cruise when he's gone. And, you know, it's less expensive because we're not paying for an adult. So you can take advantage of stuff like that. Um, I think one of the main ways that, you know, you learn to cope and deal with your situation, and this goes for really anybody in any situation, I think you have to find the good in mundane things. So, you know, I really enjoy iced coffee. I look forward to that. That's a happy part of my day. I can drink iced coffee, read a book, you know, go chat with friends while I, you know, go to Starbucks and have a chat with friends or go to the local coffee shop and read. You know, you can find the good in that and look forward to that and think, oh, this is a nice experience that I get to have by myself and no one's going to interrupt me. And that's kind of a positive part of my day. I've gotten really into listening to podcasts. So every day I walk my dog and I listen to podcasts and I feel like, you know, that's led me to this. So that is a really positive thing to come from, you know, maybe feeling lonely and isolated and needing to do something. Um, I find that exercise keeps me really happy. So every morning these days, after I walk my dog, I'm meeting with a group of women and we're working out together every morning at 8.15. So then, you know, there's adult interaction and we're raising our endorphins and getting healthy at the same time. And I'm actually leading a fitness class every Friday because, you know, I was a certified fitness instructor. And this is a way to kind of keep it up and get together with people and feel like I have a purpose and go somewhere every week. And it's just a nice thing to do. Um, 
I've also gotten really into crafting, which is crazy. I've learned how to knit, but I don't know how to do that anymore. I have made some quilts, which has been really great. And I have one that I need to make now. I've started to do this nail art, the string art where you nail, which can also be quite therapeutic. You hammer nails into a piece of wood and then you string string through it, which you know, who knew? That's a great thing to do. My girls have started doing stuff like that. I really want to learn how to watercolor paint. So I pinned a bunch of that stuff on Pinterest. And one of these days, I will start learning how to do that. So, you know, you take the opportunity to learn a new skill. Plus, who doesn't love a good book? So it's pretty nice to be able to read and to look forward to that every day and think, oh, I have a great book to read. I'm going to look forward to that. Um, you know, you have to find the good in their absence. So you have less laundry. You maybe have less cooking. You can set goals for yourself. You can say, okay, I want to get through this number of books when they're gone. I want to read a book a week or I want to really get in shape or I want to cut out sugar while they're gone or whatever it is. Um, You can get closer to your kids. You can kind of set, what's the word, like expectations but then you're the only one that has to have the expectation lived up to. So for example, um, I made a deal with both of my daughters that if they let me sleep on weekends until 8.30, then we'll go get donuts every Sunday. So I don't have to answer to anybody else about that. That's just what we're going to do. And if my younger daughter, who tends to be a little bit feisty, basically completely changes her personality and is really nice to me, then... I'll get her a cat because why not? What do I have to lose? And chances are that's not going to happen because I don't know if she can do it, but we'll be positive and we'll try. So most importantly, of course, you just do it. You don't dwell or if you do, you give yourself a minute, have a good cry and power through. I have a lot of friends who are not in any way affiliated with the military and it's very interesting because these are the people who most often tell me that they don't know how I do it. The truth is that sometimes I look at them and I don't know how they do it either. I'm so used to this life that now I can't imagine it being any other way. Our friends who are getting out of the military have moments of panic too because that's going into the unknown. What's it going to be like when your life becomes your own and you don't have to make every single decision yourself? I just don't know how people do it. I'm not sure what I'll be talking about next next episode. If you have any suggestions or ideas, feel free to send me a message on the Amazing Mandatory Fund Facebook page. It's not really that amazing. It needs some help, but I just can't. Honestly, I don't know how people are so good with technology. It's a miracle that I manage to get this thing onto iTunes every time. If I don't get any ideas, don't worry. There will still be an episode seven. You can also find this podcast on Podbean. That's who hosts it. And I link it to my um, Facebook page as well as to the Mandatory Fund Facebook page. And you can comment on that as well. I think I added a button on there somehow, but I don't really know. You'll just have to go ahead and look that up. Or you can call me. You can text me if you know me. You can tell a friend and maybe telephone. It'll get back to me. I don't know. So anyway, here is something to make you laugh. The woman said to her husband, just hold on a second. I'm not an octopus. I only have two hands. The octopus said, hurry home. I've only got eight arms here. I'm not a centipede. The centipede said, you'll have to be patient. I've only got 20 legs. I'm not a millipede. And the millipede said, "Eh, I've got a pretty good handle on things. On that note, this is Aaron signing off. Until next time, may your life be full of mandatory fun.